KMTT, Ki, Mitzion, Tetzei Torah. And today is Monday, regular Shir of Harav Moshe Taragin about Tefillah. Harav Taragin. The Gemara in Brachos addresses the question of whether women are obligated to daven. Women are excluded from Mitzvah Shazman Grama, and presumably Tefillah is a time-dictated mitzvah. Now, from a halachic standpoint, this question is very provocative. Because especially if we concur with the position of the Rambam, tefillah is a biblical obligation, but the timing as well as the text are rabbinic. Would the principle of Zman Grama and the exclusion of Zman Grama apply to mitzvahs whose schedule and timing is dictated at a rabbinic level? So it's fascinating that the Gemara presumes this and therefore questions why women should be chayev. And the Gemara rationalizes women's inclusion in the obligation of tefillah with the following statement. The chayavim tefillah, the Gemara comments, in Brachos Davchaf, commenting on that line in the Mishnah, the Gemara says, Because tefillah is an experience of requesting, of begging for HaKadosh Baruch Hu's pity, for his generosity for his compassion. Tefillah is a multifaceted, a multi-leveled experience, offering shavach, praising HaKadosh Baruch Hu's majesty, thanking the Rabboni Shalom for everything that he provides, for the sustenance, tapping into Jewish history and the triumphant moments of Jewish history, considering HaKadosh Baruch Hu's global as well as metaphysical or cosmic reach, Brachas of Kriyashima, but the Gemara in Brachos on Davchaf assumes that at its root, tefillah is an experience of requesting HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Rachamim, an experience which, intuitively, should include women as well. Interestingly enough, a somewhat parallel Gemara in Brachos Davchavav questions whether tefillah should allow Tashlumin. If a person negligently or accidentally forgets to daven, let's say, tefillah's mincha, should he be allowed, as halacha does allow, for the recitation of two, minch, two minchas, if he forgot shacharis, two marivs, if he forgot mincha. So the Gemara is wrestling with this question, and inasmuch as tefillah is based on the model of korbanos, perhaps tashlumen is impossible when it comes to korbanos, as the Gemara reasons, Tefillah b'makom karban he. Tefillah is in place of karban after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdush v'kivan da'avar yom abat al-korbano. And certainly, once the day has passed, you cannot repeat or make up for the lost karban. If a person forgot, let's say, Amiso forgot to offer the Tamit Shobayin Harbayim, they could not bring two to medium Shoshachar the next morning. So similarly, Tefillah should be irrecoverable. Odilma, the Gemara counters... Kivan de rachamihi, since tefillah is at its heart an experience of soliciting a Kaddish Baruch Hu's rachamim, so it should be more flexible. Just like the Gemara in Brachos and Davchaf extended tefillah to women, despite the, at least the premise that women should be excluded because it's a time-governed mitzvah, the Gemara in Brachos Chavav is willing to allow the uh, recovery of a forgotten tefillah through the mechanism of tashlumin, because tefillah is rachamim, and so to speak, to paraphrase the Gemara, we need to daven that extra tefillah, just like a woman needs to daven 
to solicit her own rachamim from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we collectively need to repeat our tefillos, if and when we forget them, to receive rachamim from Hashem. We have to almost shatter the built-in rigidity which tefillah inherits from karbanos and allow greater flexibility. There are various Rishonim who apply this notion of Rachame beyond the contours of the Gemara to argue for additional flexibility and um, lack of formality in various other halachas of tefillah in many ways in distinction to Kriyashima, which has a slightly bit more formal tone to it in its language and its syntax. Tefillah at its heart is a request for HaKadosh Baruch Hu's pity and mercy. And if tefillah is requesting HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mercy, then the premise or the predicate of tefillah is the recognition and acknowledgement of our non-deservedness, the humility that comes with that recognition and that itself predicates that recognition. Mentioned the Gemara in Brachos and Davchaf as well as Chafav and Aleph is referring to tefillah as rachameh. Rachamim, Rachum is one of the Midos of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, one of the Yud Gimel Midos of the Rabbanu Shalom, Rachum Mechanun, a tandem which repeats itself throughout Tanakh, sometimes with the word Rachum preceding the word Chanun, oftentimes with the word Chanun preceding the word Rachum, that inversion of sequence argues to their similarity, doesn't make much difference whether Rachum comes first or Chanun comes first. There are some slight and subtle differences between the two, but the Gemara Brachos and the Zayin Amad Aleph determines that Rachum Mechanun as a tandem refers to HaKadosh Baruch Hu granting Rachamim Afalpi She'eno Hagun to people that may not deserve it. So if Tefillah is an attempt to solicit HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Rachamim then it has to begin with the recognition or the acknowledgement, the cognizance that we don't deserve it. Samech Hashem L'chol HaNoflim V'zokev L'chol HaKfufim Tefillah is most successful when a person sees himself as a nofel, as vulnerable, as having fallen, as, reco- as requiring some recovery process. And that's a kafof, as someone who's bent over and submissive to forces of nature, to his own incorruptible instincts, to evil in the world. Part of the challenge of tefillah in the modern context is that it's harder and harder for us to envision ourselves as nofel and kafof. Modernity with its scientific development and technological prowess, has inverted the feelings of human fragility and vulnerability and replaced them with confidence, with security, with at least perceived and presumed the illusion, the veneer of security, but psychologically, the feeling of security and of durability. And it's harder to daven when a person doesn't sense his own vulnerability and fragility. A very interesting medrash in Devarim Rabbah. The medrash, excuse me, in Vayikra Rabbah, Parsha Yud. It's an interesting machlokas. The exact details of the machlokas in this instance are not as important as the overall flavor of the discussion. It's the machlokas between Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shua ben Levi. How does the person eliminate chait? Rabbi Huda omer tshuva osem echza v'tzfila osem hakol. Tshuva is only partially capable in eliminating our chatoyim. Whereas Tefillah is wholly capable of eliminating our Chatoyim. Bishua ben Levi Amar, Tshuva Asta Sakol, Tefillah Asta Mechza. Tshuva is actually more powerful, according to Bishua ben Levi. Tefillah is less powerful. Tefillah can only relieve half of our sin, whereas 
tshuva can exonerate our entire sin. And the various different proofs are offered as to the efficacy. Um, Cain's precedent is cited. Cain is not recorded as having performed any tefillah, but there may be. Medrash exp- expresses some skepticism, but there may be a tshuva which he engages in when he says, Gadol avonim so that may or may not be a initiated tshuva. On the side of tefillah, the Gemara cites the example of Chizkiah. We don't witness any particular tshuva on Chizkiah's part, but we do witness a tefillah. His monarchy was intended to be only 14 years, and then he davened to HaKadosh Baruch when it was extended by 15 years, and here that symbolic year is it's not just incidental, that extra year, 14 to 15. Not, it wasn't an extra year, but it was an extra 15 years, one year more than it had originally been granted. So, the relationship between tshuva and tefillah, and which is more powerful, which is more successful in exonerating guilt, is an interesting facet on its own. But the shadowing between tshuva and tefillah, the shadowing which we all recall from our davening on Rosh Yom Kippur, o tshuva, o tefillah, o that shadowing between the two reminds us that just as tshuva is a, re- is a response to spiritual and human vulnerability, similarly tefillah at its best, at its greatest moment, is a similar response. There's a medrash in Devarim, a very similar sounding medrash, where there's a machlokis between Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa, who asks Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachman whether the gates of tefillah are continuously available and open for are begging and pleading with the gates of tshuva. So Rav Shmuel Bar Nachman responds, Sharei tefillah pamim psuchim, pamim ne'ulim. Sometimes they're open, sometimes the gates of tefillah are closed, especially in a post-Beis HaMikdash environment. The Gemara in Brachos says that when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, an iron curtain fell and separated HaKadosh Baruch Hu from his selected people. So Rav Shmuel Bar Nachman at least believes that tshuva, if not more powerful, is at least more accepted by a Kaddish Baruch Hu more frequently, more readily. And Rav Anan said, Af sharei tefillah inam nin alim li'olam. Even the gates of tefillah are always open and available. Shenamar b'chol kareinu elecha, elav. So again, the terms of the debate, and this is not just a debate about which is more powerful and formidable, but which is more successful more often. Either way, these two midrashim, the Medrash and Devarim Rabbah, Parsha Beis, and the Medrash in Vayikra Rabbah, Parsha Yud, describing which completely exonerates and which only partially exonerates, these two Midrashim highlight a certain structural parallel between Tshuva and Tefillah. Each experience is a response to human failure, to the fall from grace, the inability to maintain either physical, material, or spiritual success independent of divine grace and divine intervention. It's a very interesting medrash describing two celebrities who rose to great accomplishments and great achievements and as they achieved heroic missions their reputation was enhanced. Their reputation spread. And yet tefillah acted as some sort of corrective against the inflation of arrogance or of ego, against cockiness or vanity. The Medrash in Shmos, Parshallah Ches, 
questions why Mordechai was granted such a meteoric rise. Became the viceroy of Achashverosh. Mi garam le Mordechai lavo lidei gedul hazos. Emor shehayam mispalel bechol shah. Interestingly enough, the fact that Mordechai was so successful in Tfilos, success which is borne out by his and Esther's capacity to rally an entire nation for three days of fasting in Tfilos. But presumably Mordechai excelled in Tfilah well prior to that rallying point, and it was in fact the cause for, or the basis, the warrant for his achievements. The Medrash says, once he achieved this, these heights, this reputation, this renown, he didn't let it get to him, he didn't let it go to his head in our jargon. And as a manner of sustaining that personal equilibrium between humility and meekness and the recognition of his own accomplishments, he maintained his experiences of davening. Mordechai returned. Mordechai in Parak Dalid, even though he is appointed after sort of uh, rescuing Achashverosh in the episode of Big Son Vateresh, doesn't let it get to his head, he continues to daven. So in this Medrash, davening is both the, the warrant or the basis for Mordechai's graduation and promotion, but it also serves to protect him against ego and self-centricity. Um, the Medrash continues to describe a second individual who was promoted because of his excellence in tefillah, but maintained his rigor and his regiment in tefillah to protect against cockiness and arrogance. Aaron. Very interesting, this paralleling between Mordechai and Aaron. The Medrash continues. favored Aaron because of his commitment to tefillah, particularly after the Egal disaster, which sort of had his fingerprints on it. So this Medrash highlights the dynamic between tefillah and humility. The need, literally to feel need, to sense need, in order to launch a successful tefillah. So need, vulnerability, is the source or the basis of tefillah. But as with everything else, it's not just the basis, it's also the product of tefillah. Tefillah allows both Mordechai and Aaron to maintain that enduring sense of need and dependability. So they're not just promoted, but tefillah itself breeds that form of humility. A very interesting medrash that also captures this sort of dual nature that need is the basis for tefillah, and tefillah as well breeds the sense of need. The medrash in Parshas Bamidbar, Bamidbar Abar Parsha Dalad, Quotes the Pasuk in Mishlei, Parak Chafei, Al Tis Hadar Lifnei Melech. Don't express vanity or self worth. The continuation of the Pasuk, Al Tis Hadar Lifnei Melech, of Makam Gidolim Al Ta'amod. As the Medrash reasons, in Lifnei Melech Basar Vadam Tsarach Adam Linhok Shiflus Biatzmo. person should act uh, with decorum and with uh, privacy or, or deference. In the presence of a human monarch, called the Chomer Certainly in the presence 
of the Melech Malchei Amlachim, person should display that type of meekness. And the Medrash continues to describe a story of an individual who didn't display that humility, specifically in the Beis HaKnesses. The Medrash tells a story of a son, of a father and his son, and the son continued to act irreverently in shul throughout the seven days of Sukkot, perhaps emboldened by the joy and mirth of Sukkot. And ultimately, as the year passed, that son, uh, that the father, the wife, and his children and grandchildren all passed as a punishment for the inability to sense meekness in the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, specifically during tefillah. So tefillah is both predicated on humility, but it should also yield greater sensitivity, greater uh, awareness of a person's presence in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the insignificance of the human condition. There's some very interesting applications of tefillah being based on the recognition, the acknowledgement of human frailty, of human need, of our desiring, or soliciting HaKadosh Baruch Hu's rachamim. The Gemara in Brachos, Tafiram and Beis, Amar Biosi, Rabbi Chanina, Mishum Rivliezer ben Yaakov, Al Yamor Adam b'Makom Gavoa v'Yispalel, Ella b'Makom Namuch v'Yispalel. Person should try to pray, should daven from a depressed or um, lowered physical station. In many ancient shuls, there's actually certainly Ashkenazic shuls, the bima, or particularly the place where the chazan stood, was actually a lower plane than the rest of the shul. There's a little indentation in the ground so that the chazan could actually descend to a lower physical location, physical plane, to fulfill the Pasuk, Shir HaMalos Mimamakim Krasich Hashem. Many Svardic shuls, especially in Earth Yisrael, ancient Svardic shuls, not, not Svardic, but Minak Svard, so the Bima is a, uh, is a raised and almost celebrated part of the shul. Some people have visited the Arishul and Svat. And there's a large, uh, almost stage, where a person would ascend to read from the Torah, perhaps to Davin. But according to this Gemara, and some classic um, European shuls, this architecture was maintained. The site of the chazim was actually lower than the rest of the shul. Gemara continues, the person shouldn't stand on a chair, shouldn't stand on a stage, but should Davin in a, in a, small, in a lowered area. A person should not express haughtiness, pride, strength, confidence in the presence of a Kurdish Baruchu. According to a different Pasuk, a person should be suffused with that sense of non-deservedness, impoverishedness. He's an ani, he doesn't deserve the mercy that he requests or solicits. Kiyatov, and he almost hides his head in that feeling of vulnerability. Um, the Gemara continues, another interesting Gemara. Why shouldn't we eat before davening? Again quoted by the Gemara in Brachos Daf Yud. So the classic reason which he cites is based on the Pasuk Lo Al Adam, which is very formal and legal sounding. A person should in daven prior to praying for his life. Lo Al Adam, a Pasuk which also informs us that Dayanim who happen to be sitting on a capital case, a case which may yield capital punishment, should not eat that day. They should fast on the day they may render their psak. It may be callous, it may be insensitive to be 
discussing life and death on a full stomach, or to be eating casually and comfortably in a genteel fashion on a day in which they may sentence someone to death. So similarly, each day we have to see ourselves as fighting, praying, uh, soliciting our Kodesh Baruch Hu for our very survival. So since our lives are hanging in the balance, we shouldn't be eating casually before davening. But the Gemara cites a different Pasuk. Gemara says, the Gemara encourages us, You have thrown me, you have discarded me, Hashem says, after your geecha, your pride. Amar Kadosh Baruch Hashem is anger. After a person eats and fills the stomach and feels comfortable and proud and confident, he accepts Malchus Shemayim, he accepts HaKadosh Baruch Hu's sovereignty, and he accepts HaKadosh Baruch Hu's authority. The first reason for not eating before davening, again, is very legal. We have the legal status almost of judges who shouldn't eat on the day that capital punishment will be decided, or capital issues. There's a certain somberness and ceremony that capital punishment denies, or demands, excuse me, and neglecting that environment may seem callous almost. The second passage doesn't really describe the issue of callousness as much as haughtiness. A person should pray when feeling vulnerable, when feeling hungry, when feeling almost desperate, rather than praying on a full, comfortable, confident stomach. After a person has already taken pride, if not pride, at least has solidified or consolidated the human condition through food, that is not the proper moment to daven takarish baruchu. That seems to be a second manifestation of humility and fragility or need as a pretext for proper tefillah. A third example can be found in an interesting Gemara in Yevamos, which questions not the location of tefillah, high place or a low place, or the timing of tefillah before or after eating, but the physical posture of tefillah. Reb and Reb Shimon, the son of Rebbe, were discussing the ideal posture. One claimed that a person should look to the ground. Another claim the person should look to heaven. And clearly, those two postures each captures a certain truism of tefillah. There's a meekness and a submission and, uh, so to speak, lack of pretense or expectation which looking at the ground may capture. And there's also a direct channel and a recognition of the Kisya Kavad which looking to heaven may capture. Ultimately, they debated this issue and finally, Rabbi Shemal Rabbi Yossi came and he tried to reconcile the two or compromise between the two. Your eyes should look towards the ground, but your heart should look towards heaven. Very similar Gemara in Rosh Hashanah Dav Chavav, questioning not just the posture of Tvila, but consequently the shape of a shofar. Should a shofar be a spiral or should a shofar be straight? A spiral, according to most Rishonim, captures, according to most commentators, captures the bent submissive shape of the human body looking at the ground and trying to deflect his own attention from his own self-worth, looking at the ground without expectation as a slave would. Whereas a straight chauffeur would capture the straight access of looking to heaven either with our eyes, with our hearts as Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi mentioned in Yevamos Kofe or with a chauffeur shaped in the same posture as the human body. Again, each of these Gemaras capture the almost dilemma, the paradox of tefillah. But both of them mention looking 
towards the ground, submitting not just your body, but your set of expectations to the recognition that tefillah is non-deserved. The expectations of tefillah are not licensed, but privileged. And the premise, the attitude of tefillah is one of humility and of fragility. Perhaps this element of tefillah, the the lack of confidence, one could say even the lack of cockiness, is best sensed in a very, very, um, almost um, sad medrash. Moshe Rabbeinu was so successful in his tefillos until he davened for himself. And many Midrashim suggest that it's precisely that shift. Moshe was successful in his tefillos when he was davening for Am Yisrael. When he was davening for himself, he may not have the same license, the same uh, guarantee. I mentioned this medrash in a previous year. But there's a different medrash in Devarim Rabbah Parsha Yud Aleph that suggests that Moshe got, at least according to the medrash's description in Moshe Rabbeinu's terms, a bit too comfortable. His expectations were too automatic. The medrash begins by mentioning that there were ten decrees of death issued against Moshe, in this case, banning him from entering Eretz Yisrael. However, they were issued, but they weren't uh, yet completed. They were still suspended. Based in Haggadol, mentioned this edict, this verdict to Moshe, Gezerahi milfanai shalotavor, reminding Moshe that at this point he wasn't granted entry into Eretz Yisrael, and at least according to the Medrash, Moshe responds as follows, Moshe. Moshe was a little too confident. Moshe was a little too relaxed. He reasoned, Yisrael chatu chatos gedolos kame pa'amim. Am Yisrael sinned multiple times. Severe sins. V'chivan shebikashti alem rachamim. And yet each time that I requested rachamim, miyad kibo mimeni. HaKadosh Baruch always accepted it. So lo kol shekein, shespal alatzmi, certainly when I daven for myself, sheikabo mimeni. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu will accept my tefillas. V'chivan shera HaKadosh Baruch Hu shekal adavar be'inav shel Moshe. So once HaKadosh Baruch Hu witnessed that Moshe was relaxed about it, almost confident, and at least according to this medrash, wasn't that quick to daven, almost as if he delayed in his confidence. It's hard to imagine, but this is the medrash's description. So, God now took an oath, took a Yisrael. the Moshe would not be granted entry into Eretz Yisrael. It's a very, very provocative and thought-provoking medrash. But it does capture the transition from desperate tefillah predicated on humility and lack of pretension to a tefillah which at least in Moshe's terms is it, or, or in Moshe's yardsticks is a bit too confident and casual. In fact, there's a, one could even call it a parallel medrash that likens Moshe Rabbeinu's tefillahs, perhaps not this tefillah in particular, but likens Moshe's general tefillah to the tefillah of a poor person, of a desperate person. It's a medrash in Shemos Rabbah. Shomea tefillah, adecha kol basar yavo. We begin our slichos with that pasuk. Shomea tefillah, adecha kol basar yavo. And in this case, kol doesn't just refer to the sweep of tefillah, that everyone seeks a Kaddish Baruch Hu's response, but always the equality between the seekers. That Hashem sees them as all equals. And the medrash continues that a human being will listen to a rich person, an affluent person, an influential person, but may not heed the interests of the solicitation of a poor person. Avala Kodesh Baruch Hu, the Medrash and Shemot's Rabbah, Parsha Chafal of Reasons. 
Ain't okay. El akol shavim lefanav. Everyone is equivalent in God's eyes. Hanashim, havadim, women, slaves, aniim, poor, shirim, rich. And to highlight the Kaddish Baruch Hu's, um, the, the parody in the Kaddish Baruch Hu's eyes, Teda l'cha Moshe, Rabban shall call an Moshe was the greatest prophet and seemingly the champion of Tvila. And yet in Moshe's Tvila is described as Tehillim Perak Tzadik, a Perak we recite during the Tvila of Shabbos, Tvila Moshe Ishu Elohim, a Tvila of Moshe, the man of God, structurally and textually parallel to David HaMelech in Tehillim Kuf Beis, Tvila Liani Kiyatav, Tvila Moshe parallels Tvila Liani. So even Moshe Rabbeinu such success at Tefillah, his Tefillah is only successful when it parallels Tefillah Liani, when it's a Tefillah premised on need and lack of expectation. And the one moment in Moshe's career that some degree of expectation seeps in, according to the Medrash in Dvarim, Dvarim Rabbah, Parsha Yudbe, Parsha Yud Aleph, excuse me, Moshe's Tefillahs are rejected seemingly in a very dramatic Shvua of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So, I mentioned in previous shiurim the guarantee of tefillah, the ability to demand of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Um, Moshe Rabbeinu on certain occasions, Kum Hashem v'Yafutzu Yivecha Kelna Refad Nala Vayichal Moshe Spini Hashem Alokav. That confidence has to be balanced by Samech Hashem L'Chal Anoflim V'Zokev L'Chal Akfufim. Tefillah based on need, based on desperation, and a enduring and powerful sense of the human vulnerability and fragility on the one hand, the need, as well as the lack of deservedness on the other hand. Chazal say, Gemara Yevamos, that our Imos were all barren. Sarah had a difficult time. Rivka had a less difficult but still difficult time. Rachel, and that legacy of barrenness continues. Chana, in part because the Kodesh Baruch Hu is mis'avel etzfilas and shel tzadikim. Shem wanted the tzaddikim to daven, to daven out of need, not out of comfort. Um, there's a very interesting Gemara. The Gemara in Tanis on Chafei speaks of a certain famine, lack of rainfall. And Rabbi Yezer davened that day, and he recited 24 brachos. He added six brachos, which are typical for a Tanis Sibor. We had six brachos. He wasn't answered. Rabbi Kiva began to daven, Avina Makeno, Ein Lanu Melech and rain began to fall. And everyone assumed that Rabbi Akiva's tefillahs were superior, even though they were shorter. The Rabbana were praising Rabbi Akiva, they were singing for joy at the prospect of rain, at the descent of rain. Yatsa Baskol Amra, the Baskol, descended from heaven and announced, Don't think for a moment that Rabbi Akiva is greater than Rabbi Yezer, for his tefillahs were answered. The Akiva would often wave, would often look aside from personal affront or insult. It wouldn't be that demanding that people respect and revere him. And as we know, Rivliezer was a bit more demanding. Famous story of Rivliezer, side of the Gemara and Brachos. And because of this humility and meekness, in this respect, not just expressed vis-a-vis a Kaddish Baruch Hu, but one a meekness and a humility which translates into human interaction. Very easy to be meek. I'm quoting the Pasuk before, Mishlei, Altis Hader Lefnei Melech. person recognizes the presence of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Of course it compels him to meekness and humility, but can that actually translate into the realm of human affairs? 
and personal humility and personal acceptance and Benadam um, Machavero, Rekiva evidently excelled in this area and his tefillos were answered because this excellence in Maver Amidosav was reflective of Rebekiva's ability to envision his own need and vulnerability.